0: to welcome everybody. Happy Easter. I'm so glad that you're here with us. My name is Stephanie. I'm the lead pastor here at Mill City, and we are so grateful that you joined us for this important day where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I see some new faces here, I think, or maybe people who just look different with their mask on, but I am so glad to see some people joining us, and I would love a chance to meet you. At the end of the service, I'll just be over here by the screen if you are, are here at Quincy Hall. And if you're at home and you wanna say hi, you can email pastors at millcitychurch.com. I'd love a chance to get connected with you as well. And it's so good to see more of you in real life or IRL, hashtag IRL, as the kids are saying, I guess. Um, it's just great to be together for this day. And I'm so grateful that we have the technology that we have to be able to connect with the people that are at home and everybody here today. You know, this year has been tough, as we know, and there's a lot of things that I have missed over this last year. Can anybody else resonate with that? I remember this time last year at Easter, I was just trying to get my head around how all the Easter plans we had as a church were completely changing, just trying to figure out what that was gonna mean for us. And now, here we are this year, and I'm looking back over this last actual year, and I'm thinking about some of the things that we missed out on, and I was thinking about some of the things I missed the most. So I'm not sure what that is for you, but one of the things I miss the most is having dinner with other people more often. Having meals with people. Anyone else miss that? Not being able to have as many meals with people? It's been hard not to have those meals with people. And as we think back on it, it is something that I miss the most, but I will say this. The truth is, depending on who you're having dinner with, it can actually be kind of awkward, right? Has anyone been to an awkward dinner party? So I guess we can say this last year, we didn't have to go to any awkward dinner parties, or not as many at least. So that's a celebration, I guess. In honor of the fact that we got out of some awkward dinner parties, I have brought for you today my top 10 most awkward things that have happened at a dinner party that I've actually been to, all right? And I would love for you here in the room and those of you at home on the chat to let me know if you've experienced any one of these top 10, so I know I'm not alone in my awkward experience. So in honor of, of, of this experience of this last year, missing out on some awkward dinners. The top 10 most awkward things I have experienced at a dinner party, are you ready? Number 10, forgetting to bring something I was supposed to bring, which is tied with bringing the exact same thing as somebody else, right? Especially if it's mashed potatoes, because people are just like, we cannot have that many. All right, has anybody else forgot to bring something? No one else, just me, awkward, okay. See, I told you. Number nine, most awkward thing that's happened at a dinner party. Someone had an allergic reaction, and an EpiPen was used at the table. I'm not going to say if this person's from our church, but you know who you are. And it was awkward. Anyone else had somebody have an allergic reaction? Don't point to the person if they're here. No, okay. Number eight, most awkward experience. Getting assigned to the kids' table as an adult. Anyone else been assigned? Can I just say... If someone is single, do not sit them at the kids' table, amen? Please don't do that. I, it's happened to me. It's awkward. Okay, number seven, someone has a bodily function situation, and it goes unaddressed. Anyone? Too soon, maybe, for some people? Okay. Number six, the person, that person who's on their phone the whole time during dinner, where it gets awkward, where they're the only person that's on their phone, and people are trying to bring them into the conversation and addressing them and every time someone says their name they say, huh? It just gets really awkward. Has anyone had that? Somebody is is that person. They're realizing right now they are that person. Okay, well this is when you found out. All right, number six, or number number five. Red wine spilled all over my lap. Has anyone had that happen to them? Okay, because it was really awkward and fortunately I was wearing dark jeans but it was very awkward. Number four. When someone says someone else's name wrong and no one corrects them until it's too late. Has this happened to anybody? Have you been the person who you found out you were saying someone's name wrong that entire time? Just be honest, okay. Number three, someone is leaning back in their chair the whole time, you know, just like leaning and you're just starting to feel the tension and then boom, they hit the ground. Has anyone had the the chair falling person at their dinner? Okay, these are really common I'm finding out. Number two, that thing where some food goes down the wrong pipe, you know, and it's you, and you realize you're taking a little bit longer to recover from that moment than you anticipated, but then you think maybe you're okay, and you start to talk, but out comes a Kermit the Frog voice. That is so awkward. Has that happened to people? Okay, it happens to me I, probably because I'm speaking while I'm eating and I shouldn't be doing that, so I admit that. All right, the number one most awkward thing, in my opinion, that can happen and has happened to me at a dinner party is unexpected ludafisk. All right, look, if you're gonna have it, at least warn me, okay? I am not, I'm not Swedish, I'm not Norwegian. If you're gonna make a gelatin fish, at least, at least let the people know that are coming so we can be ready for it. I know someone's offended now, but I'm just being honest with you about the awkward experiences I've had. So we, you guys, we missed out on some awkwardness this year and we can be grateful for that. But the truth is that some of the most meaningful experiences in our lives happened around a table, don't they? Just think about it, think about your life. Some of the most meaningful things that have happened have been sitting around the table with people that you love, haven't it? And for me, I just think about how powerful those experiences have been. And I think that's why meals are kind of a central theme when it comes to God's story. When you look at God's story, you see the table or meals or coming together around a table as a central theme. And the table often symbolizes where human beings come to gather with each other and and relationally connect but it also often symbolizes where humans come together in order to connect in their relationship with God. That's what the table means most often in scripture. Jesus uses the image of the table when he's talking about the kingdom of God. He uses this image of a banquet. In the book of Revelation, we see this image of this future hope. I I love talking about it, right? Because it's this future hope that we have where all the wrong things are going to be made right where there's no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more death. And guess what we're doing together? It says in Revelation 19, we are having a huge feast together. That's the picture that we have. This wedding feast described in Revelation 19, where Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride, together, finally again, together having a feast. The kingdom of God is like an endless table where there is a seat for anyone who wants one. But let's be honest for a minute. Sometimes God's family, at least right now, is a little bit more like an awkward dinner party, aren't we? Not maybe as much that beautiful banquet, that meaningful banquet that we see in the picture in the future. We aren't at that one yet, right? We're not at that future banquet that we know about in the book of Revelation. And sometimes it's painfully obvious that we're not there yet but we've got to hold on to it. We've got to hold on to that future hope, that that's the hope that we have, that the future hope is the best dinner party you have ever been to, and fortunately, Jesus is hosting and not our awkward selves. That's going to be a good thing. So today, as we look at this theme throughout God's story, here's what I'm hoping that we can take away with us. God makes a way for us all to have a seat at the table, but you do need to RSVP. Who's that person that you know that doesn't RSVP? Are you the person that doesn't RSVP? Please do that. Don't be that person. God makes a way for us all to have a seat at the table, but you do need to RSVP. Over these last few weeks, we've been having this conversation we're calling God Makes a Way. God makes a way, and we're looking at the four major sacrifices or offerings that the people of Israel made in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Leviticus. Anybody who's kind of a lifer for Easter, have you had an Easter sermon on Leviticus? Anyone? I would love to talk to someone if they have. Anybody at home, you let me know. But we're going to do it, all right? And I believe in you. We can do this. We are going to just nail it. Leviticus, these offerings are talked about in the book of Leviticus in the genre of the biblical law. And the priests would come and they would offer these ritual symbols and they symbolized the ability for people to be connected to God. In our cultural context, at least for most of us, offerings where animals are sacrificed in order to, to, to offer them to God, that's not something that's very easy for us to resonate with, I think, and that's okay. But I want to encourage you to think of it this way. The sacrifices were how God made a way for people to be in relationship with God. God has always made a way for people to be in relationship with God. Humans have always made it difficult for God to do that, but God has always made a way for people to be in relationship with God. So for these offerings, people would bring their best animal To show their devotion to God. Like if you had a a special person coming over for dinner, you're going to get some really good food. And they wanted to show their appreciation to God. Why? Because, Because God wanted to have a relationship with them. So when we talk about Jesus, which obviously we talk about Jesus here a lot, Jesus didn't come to abolish the laws or to cancel the laws and sacrifices. Jesus came to fulfill them. Look what it says in Matthew five seventeen. It's a part of the famous Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking to primarily people who would have been familiar with the idea of these Levitical laws. And this is what it says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of all these things. I'm not canceling them. What Jesus accomplished on the cross through his death and also resurrection was a complete fulfillment of these laws. Jesus conquered death, conquered brokenness in a way that no other animal sacrifice or human, for that matter, ever could. Jesus made a way for us to be in a complete relationship with God and it no longer required ritual sacrifices. Today, we're gonna touch on this final offering, just briefly, called the fellowship offering. The fellowship offering. This is an offering that's all about relationship or fellowship. God was making a way then just like God has made a way now through Jesus for us to be in relationship with God. Can we just stop for a minute and think about this? The God of the universe wants to be in relationship with us. That should really blow our minds. I know it did then, and it should blow our minds now. The God of the universe wants to be in relationship with us, wants to relate to us as humans. So the humans then would bring this fellowship offering out of gratitude for a God who was offering relationship and peace. They weren't bringing it in order to earn that relationship. They were bringing it out of gratitude and thankfulness for the relationship that they had. So guess how God invited them to bring this offering? He invited them to bring the best meat, and he invited them to bring some special bread, and they had a dinner party. That's right, a dinner party in Leviticus. They're coming together for real, and they're having this meal with God and with each other. They were to bring the the best that they had for this special meal. In fact, one biblical scholar, Robert Alter, he offers this better translation. Uh, He's a Hebrew scholar, and he says you could call it a fellowship offering or a peace offering, but he calls it the communion offering. The communion offering, communion, coming around a table to commune with each other and with God. The fellowship or communion offering is often called a covenant meal because the people were remembering the covenants or the promises that God had made, and they were expressing their gratitude and their thanks to God. So I want to read just a little piece of Leviticus for you, and I want you to listen to the attention to detail that God's people took in order to have this special feast and this special meal with God as they prepared for it. So I'm going to read Leviticus 7, 11 through 15. We'll have it on the screen for you too. Pay attention closely to these details, okay? These are the regulations for the fellowship offering anyone may present to the Lord. It's a big deal that anyone could present it. If they offer it as an expression of thankfulness, then along with this thank offering, they are to offer thick loaves made with yeast and with olive oil mixed in, thin loaves made without yeast and brushed with oil and thick loaves of the finest flour, well kneaded with oil mixed in. Along with their fellowship offering of thanksgiving, they are to present an offering with thick loaves of bread made with yeast. They are to bring one of each kind as an offering, a contribution to the Lord. It belongs to the priest who splashes the blood of the fellowship offering against the altar. The meat of their fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the day it is offered. They must leave none of it till morning. So when we think about this offering, we should picture people gathered around a table. And did you catch that at the end? You have to be a part of the clean plate club. You cannot leave any of this till tomorrow. Did you see that? You've been to those parties where someone's like, nobody leaves till you eat all the food, don't leave it here, right? Those same people who are giving out Tupperware on your way out. You know who I'm talking about. It's you, some of you. So here's the thing. The altar becomes a table when it comes to the communion offering. The altar becomes a table when it comes to the communion offering. And so you can see a clear connection to our practice of communion, can't you? This idea of coming around a table, this practice of coming together to thank Jesus and remember what God has done through Jesus' death and resurrection. The communion offering was always shared with other people, and it gave people a sense of belonging. Belonging to God, belonging to each other. Isn't that what makes dinner parties so special? The dinner party, not the awkward ones, well, maybe a little bit awkward, but the ones that are pretty good, right? They feel so special because you have this sense of belonging with the people that you're with, this deep experience of belonging. Finally, something really unique about this offering is that it's the only one that's not a ritual requirement. So that means that nobody has to bring this offering. They get to choose to engage in this offering because they wanted to, because they felt invited by God to come and to eat this covenant meal. God was hosting the dinner, but they could choose to RSVP, okay? So when it comes to this image of God's banquet table today, we have the same invitation, the same reality. God makes a way for us all to have a seat at the table, but we need to RSVP. The table theme is carried out through the life of Jesus. Start to think about Jesus' life if you've read about it in the, in the Gospels. Jesus fulfilled the communion offering. Once again, Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. On earth, Jesus came as a, as a Jewish man, a fully human Jewish man who was also fully God. And so he, per- he per- participated in these rituals, but he also fulfilled them in a way that no one else could. Think about his life. Think about his ministry and how he fulfilled the communion offering. What's the first miracle that Jesus does? He turns water into wine, praise the Lord. And then it's at a wedding banquet, right? It's at a feast. Scholars are quick to point out how powerful this is because Jesus' first miracle is at a wedding banquet. And then at the end in Revelation, we see this beautiful vision of a wedding banquet. It's powerful. What what also, also, also happens in Jesus' life? We read that Jesus gets in trouble, doesn't he? He gets in trouble for eating with people people don't think he should be eating with. That happens around a table. Specific story like that, Jesus is, invites himself over to dinner at Zacchaeus' house, who was a tax collector, considered a traitor to other Jewish people. Jesus invites himself over to other people's houses. Has anybody ever done that? You invite, somebody, you invite yourself, have you invi- invited yourself over to someone's house for dinner? I have done it. I think you should try it. Just give it a try. See what happens. What's another story? A very well-known story that we've come to call the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus is telling this story, right? And there's these sons and the younger son takes all of his inheritance. He goes off. He spends it all. He comes back with nothing. He's just hoping his father's gonna let him be a servant. But what is the father who represents God in the story? What does the father do? The father has a feast and sets the table for him and welcomes the son in and gives him a party and a banquet that he does not deserve at all. When someone comes back to God, they are coming back to the table where God chooses to honor them with grace and with mercy. Finally, we see maybe, I would suggest, the most powerful story of the table in Jesus' ministry the night before he died. When he's having this Passover meal with his closest friends, his disciples, probably the 12 men, some of the women that traveled with them. And they're sitting around a table, and they're doing something that Jewish families and friends would often do every single year. Many still do this today. They are getting together to celebrate a Seder dinner, the beginning of Passover, to commemorate this time. And what they did is they went around talking about God's faithfulness and what God had done, remembering how God had been faithful to them. And so this night, these Jewish men, these Jewish women are having this pretty familiar meal. But then Jesus does something really unfamiliar. Instead of talking about remembering the past and what God had done, Jesus starts talking about something that's about to happen in the future and how Jesus wants them to remember that. And he tells them he's going to want them to remember whenever they see the bread and the cup. And he takes the bread and the cup and they are to remind them of his body given for them and his blood shed for them. You see, Jesus fulfilled communion offering from Leviticus by what he accomplished on the cross. People can now commune with God no matter what your ethnic background, no matter what's happened or where you've come from or anything that you've done or what's been done to you. People can now commune with God at a level that was not possible before Jesus conquered death and conquered brokenness and removed all that separates us from God. So now we celebrate communion when we're invited to the table and we take the wine and the bread to remember what Jesus has done. And we are invited into this practice, the communion offering, now centered on Jesus, Jesus' new promise, his new covenant in his blood. So we're invited to this table now to be forgiven, to be healed, to be made whole, to be set free, if we're willing to RSVP, yes, and to come. When we see this theme of God's, banquet table from Leviticus all the way to Revelation. It's a pretty powerful image, isn't it? And it's, it's throughout. What we see is that there is a seat for anyone who wants a seat at God's banquet table. The invitations have gone out and we get to choose just like the people of Israel got to choose to bring that communion offering if they wanted to. We get to decide if we want to come to dinner and then what are we going to bring? Because there is something specific that God wants us to bring. God makes a way for us to all have a seat at the table, but we do need to RSVP and we do need to bring what Jesus invites us to bring. I actually see three invitations for us here in this beautiful image of God's banquet table. First, the first invitation is to see that there is a seat for you at the table. To see that there is a seat for you at God's table. God wants to be in relationship with you. The invitation has been sent. Everyone is welcome at God's banquet table. God is the one who decides who gets a seat, and there is a seat for you if you want it. But here's the reality, isn't it? Humans spend a lot of time talking about who deserves a seat at the table, don't we? And who does not deserve a seat at the table? Even in our practical dinner parties, we have a big fuss about who's going to sit where and where do people need to sit. That's how number eight awkward thing happens and people get at the kids' table that shouldn't be. Doesn't this sound like the same idea of these people criticizing Jesus for who he's having dinner with? God is the one who has sent you the invitation. It is not someone else's call, even if they act like it. And if that has been your experience, I'm so sorry. This Easter, I hope that you will be able to see that there is a seat for you at the table of God. But then there's a second invitation. First, to see that there is a seat for you, but the second invitation is to come and to sit at the table. Just take your seat. Just like the communion offering in Leviticus, nothing and nobody is forcing anyone to come to dinner. It's a choice. But the invitation is out there. You just have to decide if you're going to RSVP, yes. Yes. So just imagine with me today, if a table represents uh, a relationship with Jesus, metaphorically speaking. Communion with Jesus is what the table represents. Like a really good meal with a really good friend who loves you more than you could possibly imagine. When you picture that table, metaphorically speaking, where are you at the table, if you're honest? When it comes to a relationship with Jesus, have you even come to the table? Maybe you've kind of hovered around the door, like peeking in just to see what is really going on here before I go in. Not bad advice for some actual dinners sometimes, just make sure you check. Some people, that's where they are and and makes sense. Maybe you came to the table a long time ago, but at some point you got up and you left. I know there's been seasons where, myself included, I've been metaphorically at the table, but I have gotten up, I've knocked over my chair, I've stormed out, slammed the door with no interest in going back in. And maybe that's where you're at this Easter. If you aren't at the table this Easter, will you consider taking the seat that God has for you or coming back to sit across from Jesus again, to have this relationship with Jesus for the first time or again? Or maybe, maybe you are at the table, but if you're being real, you're like the person on their phone right now, just if we're being real, right? You're the person on the phone metaphorically. Uh, you're just kind of scrolling and then somebody <laughs> turns to you and is trying to talk to you. Maybe Jesus is trying to ask you a question and you're like, huh? Oh, oh me? Are we talking to me? You're you're scrolling, your eyes glued to the endless scroll of envy and grief and despair and distraction. Just distracted from the purpose that God has for you in the kingdom of God. Or maybe you imagine yourself at the table and you think about your posture. And you're kind of closed off, your arms crossed. And that makes sense that some people have this posture at the table. Because when you've been wounded, when you've been hurt, it's difficult to open up. It's difficult to open up to other people or to open up to Jesus. And so maybe when you imagine the table, you think about the posture you have at the table, a protective posture or something else. So that's my question for you. When you imagine the table with Jesus sitting there, and there's your open chair, where do you see yourself right now? So invitation number one, see that there is a seat for you at the table. Invitation number two, you're invited to come and take your seat. Invitation number three, This is a big one. Put it all on the table. Put it all on the table. If you see your open seat, if you RSVP and you come and you sit at the table, something critical for you to know is that there is something that God wants you to bring. God's proverbial table feast is one that's going to last into eternity. We have the forgiveness and the freedom and the love and the purpose and the hope and the relationship promised by God. But there is something that God wants, our hearts, our lives. God wants our surrender to put it all on the table, not to hold back some of who we are, especially the parts that we're most ashamed of, but to put it all on the table, to, to let go of the control that we think we have, that we don't even actually have, and to place it on the table, on the, the altar, the things that we need to trust God with. That's what God wants. So I want to invite you to imagine something with me. You might even want to close your eyes if you want to. You don't have to. But imagine with me the best dinner party you can imagine. As you come into the dinner party, you see your seat at the table. You know that's your seat. And as you come and you sit in your seat, you feel that depth of belonging that we talked about earlier, just instantly. You belong here. Jesus himself has invited you And you get to sit right across from him. You get into this great conversation with the people around you, great conversation with Jesus. Everyone's having a great time laughing, telling stories. There's gratitude in the air. It's communion. Now, imagine that the party is kind of winding down. People are starting to head out. But Jesus is drawing you deeper and deeper into conversation. And all of a sudden you realize now it's just you and Jesus left at the table. And as you are sitting across from Jesus, he says something like this to you. He says, I'm so glad that you accepted this invitation and sat in the seat that I had prepared for you. All the promises of God are yours. You belong in my family. And you can know my love and my forgiveness, and you can hold on to my future hope where I will make all wrong things right. And Jesus says, it gives me deep joy to give this to you. And then he continues. Now, I wanna know, did you bring what I asked you to bring? And you shift around kind of nervously in your chair because you've never been asked to bring so much, to surrender so much. But then Jesus says to you with compassion in his eyes, this table is the new altar. Because I gave my life for you, there is nothing that has to die and be placed on this altar, but there is something that needs to be placed on the altar, and it's you. It's your life, your greatest successes, your greatest failures, your deepest hopes, your dashed dreams, your joys, your sorrows, your painful past, your regrets, your mistakes. When I said I wanted you to put it all on the table, I meant it. I want it all the mental health struggles, the anger that you're carrying, the brokenness in you and the brokenness in your relationships. I even want your doubts and your apathy and your questions. I want your grief and your loss and your disappointment and even I want your deepest shame. Put it all on the table. And if you do, you never have to carry it alone ever again. Jesus wants us to put it all on the table. Everyone has a seat at the table. We're all invited to come. But Jesus wants us to put it all on the table. In some ways, it's a big sacrifice. Surrendering your life, giving your whole life to Jesus. But Jesus gave up his life and conquered death so that we could truly live. It's worth the sacrifice to give yourself to Jesus who sacrificed everything for you. So as we go into this time of worship, I'm gonna leave these invitations for you. You get to decide how you will RSVP. Will you come to the table, the new altar? Will you take your seat? Will you put it all on the table? And in so doing, have open hands, ready to receive Jesus' forgiveness and purpose and leadership and salvation and the promise of life forever with God.